now listening to Liberation. I am your host, LaCroix Hatcher. Liberation presents Jack Wilkie, Evangelist of the Forney, Church of Christ. Jack has penned two books and is editor of FocusPress.org. Today, we talk about the importance of monitoring our children's education, porn, empathy, and unity in the church. Please enjoy the show. Folks, I'm getting straight to it. I have um, Brother Jack Wilkie uh, on the line with us. He is the minister of the Forney Church of Christ and editor of the Focus Press uh, website, co-editor of Think Magazine. He's also the author of uh, two books, uh, Church Reset and also Failure, What Christian Parents Need to Know About American Education. Yeah, we have a, a not too good relationship with uh, people from Denver. Um, I'm, pr- I'm not sure how much um, younger than you, uh, you are than I, but uh, Broncos broke my heart a couple of years. We know those well. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, got, I got a big problem with Broncos fans, but I won't hold that against you. <laughs> All right, so your journey to becoming a Christian, how did that come about? Um. So my mom was a preacher's daughter, but she strayed from the faith, um, uh, you know, in her early 20s. Uh, she got married, still, you know, it kind of drifted. And then when uh, they had my older sister, she really decided, OK, I, I got to get serious about this. And, and my dad thought, yeah, that's good, too. Uh, he wasn't a Christian. Uh, th- that's good. Our kids need religion. He said, I, I grew up Catholic, so we're going to be Catholic. And my mom said, yeah, no, we're not. Um and so she took my sister uh, to church, and then I was born. She took the two of us, ended up being uh, all four of us kids were born, and she was getting four little kids ready every Sunday and, and getting us there. And um, just kind of over time, that worked on my dad. And, and I think it was around the time I was five, he got baptized, and uh, he's been an elder in the church and all that uh, over the years. And so uh, just a, a strong family background. And um you know, you think it's it's such a clear path of I, I grew up, my parents taught the Bible in the home, they took us every time the doors were open kind of thing, but uh, it's not uh, a perfect uh, upbringing that makes you a Christian. It's not, oh, I was always a perfect moral kid that makes you a Christian. Uh, I was a you know sinful person in need of Jesus, just like anybody else, you know, somebody uh, like most young men in my age range, pornography addiction, um, uh, you know, anger problems and, and just different, you know, the sins that are common to man kind of thing. And, um, there's no, as I said, no clear path from, I was born and raised in the church. And so I just was Christian the whole way. No, I mean, repentance is, uh, the same for, for somebody who grew up there every Sunday as it is for anybody else. And so, um, I became a Christian and, uh, you know, it's one of those things I, I write about and talk about a lot of, a lot of times you become a Christian and then you sit on the bench when you, you become a Christian as like a teenager, you have minor league church or whatever, if we, you know, go to the, the youth events and just show up for that. And then maybe as you grow older in your twenties, you'll, you'll really get involved. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's, that's God's plan for us. And so kind of grew into that, grew into preaching around 17, 18 and, um, preaching school and everything involved following that. So, okay. Wow. You started very young. Um, you know, you, you touched on something that I was eventually going to try to find, uh, someone about, and maybe we'll just touch on it later, but as far as, um, porn addiction, um, is that something maybe, you wrestled with uh, in your younger years or something that still progressed through uh, adulthood? Yeah. I mean, I'd like to say, you know, that as soon as you come out of the water of baptism, it's you know, not a struggle anymore. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. Um, right. you, you have to get serious about it and you, you have to get serious enough about getting yourself out of the way to get the help you need. Um, it is incredibly rare for somebody to kick that addiction without help. And to get help, you have to go tell somebody, I have this problem. There's such a stigma and such a shame around it that nobody wants to tell somebody else that. Um, And so it it was something that stuck with me for a long time. And finally, um, 
there's some preacher guys I knew that they really got serious about it, got open about it, started accountability groups. I got in with them and uh, just had to open up and tell my story. And, and every week we'd check on each other of uh, how's your, your battle going? If you stumbled, why? What was the reason? What, you know, how do you eliminate that temptation next time? And uh, without that kind of help, I couldn't have done it. And I know, I know most people couldn't either. And so, um, this is something my brother uh, really specializes in. He's a, a, a preacher as well, but also a counselor, a therapist. And, um, you know, he had the same struggle I did. We shared a room together, but we were both too shared, uh, too scared to confess. Mm. And he had the problem. I had the problem. We just didn't talk about it. And so um, keeping that stigma and that shame um, is, is what keeps it going. And so even as a Christian, and I mean, this, you've probably seen some of the statistics that upwards of over half of, of Christian men struggle with it at least once a month. Um, and, and without an open avenue to come forward and say, I have this problem and I'm not going to be thought of as some kind of monster who needs to be cast out for saying I have this problem. Um, it, it just perpetuates and Satan loves that. Satan loves the darkness that it thrives in. Right. Right. All right. Well, We'll get to a little bit more of that. Um, okay. So 17, 18, you had your path laid out that you wanted to be a preacher, evangelist. Uh, is that something as soon as you got out of high school, you went straight to school for it? Or is that something that uh, manifested for a while? It's funny. I, uh, I, you know, I was homeschooled, got a little bit of a leg up, you know, an August birthday can make it a little easier to get in on school earlier. So I graduated pretty early. I was, I was young. Uh, so I went to preaching school at 17 thinking, you know, I've got some time to work with. I'll go to preaching school, get educated for that. And maybe I can help a church along the way someday, but I don't want to be a preacher. I'm going to go get this education mm-hmm. and then go get, you know, a college degree and do something else. Uh, did the two years of preaching school, graduated, enjoyed it, still liked preaching, still did it on, on the side, filled in here and there, but, uh, still no intention. Uh, went to, to school and got a business degree, hated almost every minute of it. Barely could bring myself to do the work. Um, it was useful information. It, it, it's stuff that other people are, are really cut out for. And, and maybe someday I'll put that degree to use. But the thing that, uh, for me, it was like, man, after two years of studying the Bible every day, being around Christians, uh, fellowshipping, pushing each other, uh, all, all of the things, you know, that, that were great about that experience to go and, and take a semester on accounting was just kind of like, no, not, no, not for me. So it was after I got that degree that I thought, okay, I need to go back and, and start using the Bible stuff. So I, I got an internship uh, with Focus Press, which was supposed to be a three-month internship, and 10 years later, here I am, and uh, a couple years later, took a, a, a pulpit job, and eight years later, still going, so. That's good, that's good. So you already answered my Focus Press question, uh, and I talked to uh, Brad a little bit mm-hmm. about uh, Focus Press and how it kind of began, mm-hmm. Um. so just to get your viewpoint on it. Cause as it stands, cause uh, just, you know, poking around on the website, it seems like you and him are uh, the tag team uh, for much of what goes on. Sure. What, what sets focus press apart from some of the other places? When I talked to Brad, I most specifically pointed out apologetics press, but just mm-hmm. in your opinion, what sets focus press apart from uh, any other religious group that deals with different topics. Sure. Um, so, you know, we put out think magazine every month uh, and, and the tagline for think is current issues from a distinctly Christian view. And, and that really has been what we've tried to do all along uh, focus. It's been around 15 years. So a few years before I got there and it really started as an apologetics thing. And it's kind of cool. I have the whole think magazine archive, uh, to look at that, the first year is a lot of apologetics, a lot of creation, design, um, evolution, dinosaurs in the flood and age of the earth stuff and uh, defending all of that. Well, it kind of evolved from that. And, and really what Focus Press has tried to be all along is 
what is the pressing need for Christians today? What is, is the thing that's challenging Christians? What is the thing that is a stumbling block for Christians? Uh, so apologetics, you know, that that's something that is a need. And we still talk about that, but it's not all apologetics like it began as. Right. Um, it, it kind of morphed from there into a heavy emphasis on the Christian family. Uh, we noticed how just the, the gigantic percentages of youth leaving the church uh, and so equipping parents and equipping churches to say, these kids got to be ready at the age of 17, 18. If their faith is not locked in, they're going to drift. They're going to go to college. They're going to be rocked the first time a, a professor challenges their faith. And so yeah. uh, ground your kids in the faith and worldliness that was you know creeping into the home and the church. And, uh, you know, now we, we've, we've got a few different strains of emphasis. Brad has kind of gone. Uh, on some of his of, of Islam and um, uh, just uh, a few of the things he's written about over the years. And then I've, I've had my own that I've gone down uh, this church reset. The book you mentioned a bit ago uh, has been the last few years for me of rethinking church and all that. And so we're, it might look like we're all over the map sometimes, but I think it's looking at what is the need for Christians and for the church today and how do we address that? How do we help Christians really think through that? And so it is, it's that current issues from a distinctly Christian view uh, that we try and really keep consistent in. Okay. Um, what I, what I really enjoyed um, or still do enjoy about focus press is while it's unapologet unapologetically Christian, it's not always a beat your, um, beat people over the head with the Bible type of website. Um, it's very relevant to today. It uh, deals with a lot of uh, topics that are often either taboo or no one wants, really wants to talk about. Uh, right. And, you know, it's it's good that you guys address the youth and the, and the young adult because, and we'll get into a little bit later, I can identify with that. Uh, you know, in my uh, late teenage years, parents going through different things. Um, the congregation, that, the home congregation I was going to at that point, were dealing with some unsettling moments, to say the least. Mm -hmm. And right at that time, I'm graduating and then progressing to getting ready to have my own apartment. Who needs this church stuff anymore? Mm -hmm. Um I can find just as much love dealing with friends and just doing what it is I want to do than to just deal with this whole church thing. And, and, and it's all, it's bylaws and got to live straight and do all this other thing. When you don't fully know the grace and opportunity that Jesus provides, it, it is hard to really get it, mm -hmm. you know, and then all these different things are thrown at you and you're trying to mature as a, as a young adult. And it's easier to just toss it to the side if you're not grounded. Right. So, um, which kind of brings me to, when I spoke about your relevance, I remember when we first uh, had somewhat of a back and forth conversation. I don't mm -hmm. know if you remember, um, when you had the, when you initially wrote the 2016 article, uh, race, the police and Christian response. Mm -hmm. And when you were on Twitter at the time, Right, right. Uh, we had a direct message exchange, and you used part of what we were talking about, part of the article. Uh, and at the time, if I'm not mistaken, you had mentioned that you were surprised uh, um, at the negative responses uh, you have gotten at that time from that article. Has the tide changed with that at all? I, I don't think so. And I think it's, um, I mean, you, you just see how tense how how tight these discussions are um of we're not good at nuanced discussions right we're not good at saying you know we retreat to one extreme or the other you know of uh the the racial stuff of i'm going to to be all in one way or all in the other and not have a discussion of you know, so there's like the whole defund the police, abolish the police, all those things. And people see that and go all the way to, I'm not going to hear any criticism against the police ever whatsoever. It's like, well, maybe let's meet in the middle and say, there's room for criticism here. These things, you know, there's some stuff happening that's not good and not okay. 
but you know, let's, let's try and, and, and I don't know it, it. And so because of that polarization, because the, the narrative becomes what it is and, and because everything that's, you know, you mentioned, I was on Twitter and, and that, it's for other people. It's not so much for me because in, in those little bite-sized things, you can't have these conversations that kind of go in depth, right? Mm. It, you can fire off a thing that, that says one thing and, and now and it was 140 characters and that was 280 characters. That is not even a paragraph. You can't say anything in a paragraph, uh, especially on these matters. You can't have these discussions and, and, you know, and then you can you can post a statistic, but it's not in context with another statistic and and all of the things around it. And so it's I don't know the all the matters that come into that race, policing, submitting to government and uh, the, the, the justice matters and all of these things. There's something that Christians need to sit down patiently and have a discussion with each other rather than firing off a slogan that represents one side and then say, that's it. That's all. That's the only engagement I'm going to have is this slogan. Mm. It doesn't work that way. It, it just, it can't work that way. If you're trying to be united with people, which has to be our goal. Right. 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 And what, what I find, um, stupendously odd about, uh, let's just say religious folks run into one corner and and the other side goes to another corner. This principle of differences is what most of the epistles are about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what better place to run to when dealing with these situations than the Bible? Um, right. You know, even the, the saints of that day, you know, you probably had Roman authority being a little bit tougher on the Jews than probably some of the Gentile brethren, mm -hmm. but yet and still Jewish folks had certain prejudice built up from centuries against their Gentile brethren, but somehow they had to make this thing work. Right. And, you know, it, it's just odd that we can't expect growth in the church if we can't handle something this simplistic, at least to me. We don't have right. to agree a hundred percent on everything, but we at least in the moment need to show compassion. And like you said, something has to be done that that's everyone should agree on that. Something right. has to be done. There's a better way to do this and running off into your corners and basically segregating yourself. That doesn't help anything. Right. Um, well, I'll go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say you brought up the Jew Gentile thing. And that's a thing where there has to be nuance, uh, as I said before, of like the full discussion, because you've got Galatians 3, 27, 28, where it talks about we're all baptized in Christ. We're all clothed with Christ. Therefore, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no, um, you know, male nor female, slave nor free and uh, the, all everything he says there. And that's a really true verse. But then in other parts of the New Testament, even in other parts of Galatians, he's talking about the issues of the Jews and the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so you can go to, oh, the, see, it says there's no Jew, Gentile, no male, female, no, you know, see, none of these distinctions exist anymore. Right. That's not what that verse is saying. <laughs> what that verse is saying is when we're in Christ, we move past those divisions to be on the same team. Right. Um, and, and so I'm not a Gentile Christian and a Jewish Christian. I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, you know, all these things, but there's still things, you know, and, and uh, some of the passages about eating of meats and observing of festivals, the Jews still wanted to do some of their Jewish things. And Paul has to say, if you want to do that, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Don't force your Gentile brother. And so there were still issues that had to be parsed out between the two, mm -hmm. you know, to say there's neither Jew nor Gentile is not for him to say, you know, there's no difference. Nothing exists. Don't ever talk about it. Like there's a difference because then Paul talks about it. Like there's a difference. And so for us today, you know, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, you know, whatever other things you want to put in there, you could put right in there in Galatians three twenty seven. say there's no black, there's no white, there's no Hispanic, there's no Asian, there's no native. I, I know I'm going to leave somebody out. And so I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to, um, you can, you can say that you can read that right into there. That doesn't mean we don't have to parse through the applications of the differences culturally, socially, whatever else in, in other ways. Mm -hmm. uh, it just means at 
the bottom line of it all is we're on the same team. We're, we're one, we're, we're family, all of these things in the same way that it says neither male nor female. And then Paul goes on to say, well, women shouldn't, you know, I, I don't permit a woman to teach or hold authority over a man. He's not erasing the distinction. He's saying in this particular case, you guys need to be on the same team and equal and one. And then in other ways, it's going to be different. So does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It, what I kind of look at it like this, what Paul is saying is when he says there's no male, no female, of course, that's almost, it, it almost parallels to Jesus in its own kind of way. It parallels to Jesus talking to Nicodemus that, hey, you got to be born again, water and spirit. Well, of course, right. you can't go back in your mother at 50 years old. Your mother may not right. even be alive. So it's like, right. It's it's a deeper conversation, um, right? It, there's a there's a a soul factor, of course. There's right. there's um, distinctions, you know, men and women, uh, sexual organs, um, skin tone, hair. Yeah, there's differences, but at the core, you're a human being, and just like Paul said, you're a new creation, and that's right. That goes deeper, but you're a new creation. So get past these heady little differences. We right. have a bigger mission at hand. Um, right. And we can't achieve that as a church. If we're still hung up on defund the police, blue lives matter versus all lives matter versus black lives matter versus you name it. Um, right. None of these things should exist, we should be the main ones saying, you know what, all human lives matter. However, we have to address the problems. Right. So you name it. Um, right. None of these things should exist. We should be the main ones saying, you know what, all human lives matter. However, we have to address the problems. Right. So you might remember when I when I wrote that, you know, and like you said, I I kind of you 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 wrote one of the the paragraphs in it, or or you know, kind of contributed to to what I wrote. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the bottom line I kind of came to was, if somebody you know, because uh, unfortunately, the 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 line is it's not anything new, you know, with George Floyd or any of the other ones. This is, goes back, you know, five six years when this article came out. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about specific instances, some of the names, you know, that everyone's familiar with now. Uh, and the, the conclusion I kind of came to was if your interpretation of every single case is the same, you're not an honest person. You're somebody that's coming at it with an agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I mean, we've got video of so many of these things and we've got, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's sad to watch these videos, but, and, and there's come to a point where it's like, I don't really want to, but then if you're going to have an opinion on it, you kind of need to be informed and all that. And, and I, I don't know, it's, it's just, it's painful to watch. Uh, I mean, everyone knows that, but um, they're not all exactly the same. And so if a person every single time, uh, you know, one of these deaths happens, the person runs to, well, you know, the, the, the police officer, uh, he probably had to, you know, there, I'm sure he had a good reason. Mm -hmm. No, that's that made. There's sometimes they're either going to make a mistake, you know, like the lady with the, the said she was trying to shoot the taser last time. That's not a good reason. It's not, you know, and to say, well, the police officer had a good reason or it's okay that they did. It. If that's your answer every time, you're not looking at it honestly. On the other hand, if your answer every single time is, you know, it, the, the police officer is a murderer and they had no reason to do it. Um, the the one recently where the girl was in the act of about to stab the other girl. Yeah. That's a different matter than George Floyd. Then, then some of the, like, these are all different ones with, I got to keep using the word with layers of nuance, with layers of details, with layers of, and I think because we feel like we have to defend a side, no matter what happens, some people are going to run in and go, the police officer was in the right. They didn't do anything wrong. Right. No. And then the other side is going to run in and go, you know, the police officer was in the wrong and, and, you know, they should be thrown in prison. Sometimes they should go to prison. Sometimes it is unex inexcusable. They should be fired. You know, they should, all of those things. Other times there's going to be some details. And so mm -hmm. is there a problem? I think we're at a point where <laughs> everyone agrees to some degree. Um, and, and so, yeah, there is, 
but it's about intellectual honesty, I guess, mm. of, of being able to sit down and say, I'm going to remove my bias. I'm going to remove what I want this to be mm-hmm. and just see what happened here. And, you know, you and I and everybody else are still going to disagree on some of those. Uh, where, you know, there's still going to be some where you go, well, I could see why that, you know, was justified. I could see why that wasn't justified or whatever else. But again, if, if the conclusion is the exact same every single time, I don't think somebody is, is coming at it favorably. Uh, and so, uh, that, that was the conclusion I drew back then. And you just see the same thing happening today where every single time it's just confirmation bias. It says exactly what I wanted it to be. Well, we as Christians have to be more discerning than that. We've got to be more honest than that. We've got to be more, um, I don't know, willing to listen than that. And, and so that, that's a big part of the division is not being able to have, to, to really get into the details without retreating to a side, as we talked about earlier. Yeah. And I just think those, uh, those things at the very least, there needs to be a level of compassion and understanding. Um, mm-hmm. Like even, even at the core of what this nation has been, um, it's, one should approach, let's just say, your let's just say, and I'm a stereotype here. If you have a Southern African American and and considering everything that's happened over the years, whether from uh, slavery on down the line, uh, you've either seen it firsthand or you've heard the folklore of right. everything that's happened um, right. from authoritative figures, if you will. Right. And if you're a Caucasian that's never had to deal with that situation, like you said, there should be some intellectual integrity about it. Where it's like, eh, okay, this is sketchy, but I understand. You know, because right. I've never had to have a relative that had to deal with this. So in the very moment, I'm going to be compassionate. Everyone, right. everyone knows the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. And we, I think, as Christians, we have yet to learn how to completely apply it. That it was the outsider that showed the love needed. He didn't ask what was wrong. Why did this guy get beat up? Who did it? Why they did it? Did he deserve it? He just helped him. Right. And there needs to be a level of consoling, if you will. And mm-hmm. and this this will sound awkward, and I and I might have mentioned it with Brad. But I thought if there would be any martyr that would turn the corner for some of these things, both them Jean would be it, right? You know, for whatever reason, it would be unfair for me to call Amber um, a racist. I I can't right. say that, but she made an ignorant choice, and it cost a man his life. And he was within the body. So I was saying, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, no one wants anyone to lose their life. But it's time to recognize that there's a problem. There's automatic biases. I can't completely say she's racist. I don't know her. But, okay, you went past certain identifying marks that was your house. And, okay, there's a black guy in pool shoot. Right. Even if he would have survived to tell the story, there's still some problems here. Um, and, mm-hmm. and and I think what um, probably affects the African-American community more than anything is the lack of compassion. Right. So just, well, and sorry. No, I'm saying just that that warm arm on the shoulder could probably go a long way. Right. Yeah. I mean, just that guy is now dead. That is a horrible thing for his family and for everybody who knows him, his friends. Uh, with you, don't have to get into all of the details uh, on every time to 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 recognize that for sure. And you know, with ah, where was I going to go with this? Um, uh, you know, as you said, not not that necessarily she was a racist. I think the key, and this is something else I wrote at some point along the way. Uh, you know, the, the, the racial sins are either, you know, uh, uh, racial pride of 
I think I'm better than this other person, or I think this person is lower than me because they've got a skin color difference, cultural difference, whatever else, or um, racial you know, prejudice, racial, racial bias or whatever else um, that says, I'm going to treat you differently than I would somebody else. Mm. Um, and, and if every single time something happens with, uh, you know, a, a black person, uh, you know, uh, one of these incidents or whatever, it's, well, he was automatically guilty. Uh, check into that a little bit. Uh, you know, look at that because with, so the Amber Geiger, you know, comes in, it's the wrong apartment for whatever reason. I, the door was slightly open or whatever. And so she was able to get in or her key worked or whatever it was, goes in and shoots him. She's in the wrong. I mean, at the very least it's, it's, she killed a guy due to her own neglect mm -hmm. and all the things that, well, she was very tired and she just had a really long shift and okay, but nobody else gets that benefit of the doubt, right? <laughs> nobody else, you know, and, and it doesn't necessarily, as you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be a racial thing that people are doing that. Maybe it's, it's, I'm just going to defend the police at every turn. Don't, don't do that. You know, uh, again, as I said, take every case on its, on its face. Let's say that she was a, a grocery stalker at Walmart, you know, just somebody that, that just an average citizen, not a police officer, walks into the wrong apartment and shoots somebody, nobody's coming to her defense right. and saying it was okay for her to do it. And so, I, as I said, there's there's layers here that, you know, maybe it's a racial thing that, oh, a white woman shoots a black man, therefore it's okay and she's in, in the right and, and it, it's excusable. Or it's a police officer shoots somebody or a police officer shoots a black. I don't know what makes everyone come to the conclusion they do, but how on earth can you have somebody walk into the wrong house which is her fault, not his fault, just, just plainly her fault, and, and shoot somebody, and people come to her defense and say, it's excusable, she shouldn't have any prison time, mm. it's it's totally okay. No, it's not. she's not on duty, she's not walking into a crime scene, mm -hmm. she's walking into an apartment, and again, well, she thought it was her apartment. That excuse doesn't fly for anybody else. Mm. If I go home, you know, we finish our podcast here, I, you know, go home and and pull into the wrong driveway and walk into my neighbor's house and think, why is he here and shoot him? I mean, it's just, uh, again, there's this rushing to the defense because I've got a side that I have to hold. Don't be that person. Uh, be somebody, as you said, number one leads with compassion of this is terrible that this person is now dead over a mistake that somebody else made. And, and again, we don't even have to dig into the pathology of, was it a race thing? Was it a sex thing of a male, female? You know, she was a female, saw a male or any of the layers on which it could have been that we don't know inside of her head just to know this is not a good thing. This is not a right thing. This is a bad thing. And it's not okay that this happened. And that none of that part should be controversial. And yet it is for these reasons of people running to a racial bias, a, a police bias, a whatever else. And so, that, that's what I just urge people over and over. Take every case on its face. Get all the details you can get and make the right decision. Make the decision that, that you think is is the right one for justice. And then start examining, as I said before, if, if you come to the same conclusion every time, you're probably not being honest with yourself. And so uh, that one is one of the easier ones to get right. And if somebody <laughs> doesn't get that one right, well, you know. Right. So... Um... You know, I, I'm glad to be able to, to have had um, some of these conversations with uh, brothers of mine from a different persuasion because we have to make ourselves uncomfortable to not only make for a better uh, a better church, but for a better nation. Mm -hmm. um, you have to, like you say, you got to scrub away the biases and all of those things and, and, and shed yourself for that and be able to just listen. Um, it's, it's no right. different in, you know, you're married, I'm married. If you're going into it, you know, with your own opinion and you're not budging on it, chances are you're going to have a hard, <laughs> have a hard marriage right. on your hands. Right. And you, you're going to have to bend at some point to be able to bend your ear to listen and right. try to gain some type of understanding. Um, so you did lessons, uh, seminar on the lost generation. And, mm -hmm. 
we kind of talked about, you know, why we're losing some of our young people. Um, in your opinion, uh, what can be done to uh, help restore the faith in our uh, youth and uh, young adults before it's too late? So uh, principle number one is it's, it's far easier to keep somebody than to bring somebody back. You know, once they're gone, there is a lot to overcome and, and not that God can't work and, and bring somebody around, not that he can't work on their heart and not that the gospel is not powerful enough to save. But sometimes when somebody drifts, they become very hardened. They become very angry at their upbringing or, or whatever else. And so best thing we can do is don't let them drift. Don't let them get to that point uh, to the best of our ability. I mean, everyone has their own choices, but you want to solidify them in the faith. Um, you know, one of the, the books I, I've written is not, definitely not the most popular thing I've ever written. And it's not something that, that a lot of people like to hear. You have to take education very seriously. Um, the, the schooling in this country at, at the, the nicest thing you could say is that it's not friendly to Christian. It's not like going out of your way, to, uh, their way to make your kid stronger in the faith. Um, I think in a lot of areas of the country, it is actively trying to derail your kid's faith, not necessarily the teachers themselves, because that's where, where, where I start talking about this. People go, well, well my kid's teacher is really good. I, I don't doubt that, but there's just so much when you dig into it. And again, I, I wrote a whole book on it, and so I don't want to get into it all now. But just from the very start, there was a guy who signed the Declaration of Independence, uh, that or the Constitution. His, uh, his name is Benjamin Rush one of the founders of the country talked about how we need an education system to teach children that they don't belong to themselves or to their parents, but to the whole country and that we need to, to educate them, you know, not uh, that basically they need to do what we tell them and not what their parents tell them. And then through the 1800s, I mean, at the development of education, when they started putting laws in of compulsory where kids had to go to school, it was for the reason. Uh, in fact, the guy that came up with those laws, Horace Mann, said, we have to think of parents as giving their kids as hostages to our cause. Like you're sending your kids to us so that we can do with them what we need to and, and essentially train them out of believing what you believe into what we want them to believe. Hmm. Um, and so... A lot of times there's that discussion of, man, the schools have gotten really bad in this country or, or schools have really gotten uh, grown away from God. I don't deny that there is some of that, you know, that that, that certainly is a direction it's gone with science and, and other things like that, which I also document in the book. But the very premise has always been. We're trying to teach your kids what we want them to believe rather than what you want them to believe. Um, I know not everyone is able to put your kid in a private Christian school or to homeschool or, or any of the alternatives, but you need to have that in the back of your mind to realize there are people trying to teach my children not to do this. There are people trying to teach my children that there's no such thing as a male and a female. It's this wide spectrum of what anybody chooses. Mm. And uh, I, I just, all the things that you see on TV are happening to people's, you know, like this is what is being taught to your children. And people need to realize, uh, you know, not only do we have the uphill battle of, of training kids in the faith and in the work and the diligence that, that takes, but also either protecting them or training out of them all of this bad stuff that's being put into their heads. Yeah. And so uh, the, the very first thing I, I think Christian parents need to realize is I need to be very active in my children's education. Um, I, I do not hide or shy away from the fact that my biggest recommendation is if at all possible, economically feasible option, if it's an option, pull your kids out of, of a government funded school mm. to a private Christian school, to a home or whatever, or to at home. But I know, like I said, not everyone is in the financial place to do that. Um, so at, 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 at the least be looking at the lesson plans, be involved with your school board, uh, you know, and, and see what curriculum is coming in and, you know, know your teachers well, know the friends your kids are, are hanging out with and, and, talk with your kids about the things they believe and about their questions and, and get the Bible and God and prayer into their lives regularly. And, um, people go where, you know, the heart leads the head, right? right. 
And so these kids' heart is pulled away by their friends, by a desire to, to be accepted, by, you know, a desire to, to be thought wise by the world, a desire to whatever else. Make sure their desire is for God and for their church family and for, for their family and for what is right. Uh, there, there's so much work to do. I mean, uh, man, I, I can, <laughs> this stuff is, is uh, I, I went off the education tangent. The other one I'm going to throw at you, get your kids off the internet. As I mean, as long as, as is humanly possible, don't hand them a phone. We already talked about the pornography thing, right? Um, I would tell people, go watch YouTube, watch the big YouTuber name people. When I was a kid, you turned on Disney Channel, you turned on Nickelodeon. I know, you know, the generation ahead of me turned on, you know, at night it was the Brady Bunch and it was things like that. YouTube, you know, and what kid, they can have their iPad or their phone or whatever and plugged in headphones and the parent doesn't really know what's being said or, or what's on there. The most popular ones, and, and, and the popularity is among 12 and 13-year-olds, 14, 15-year-olds. I mean, just borderline pornography, every curse word in the book. I mean, disgusting. It's just a little bit of a sample. And then you look at Snapchat and you look at Instagram and you look at all this stuff they have access to. It is insane. And, and yet people are handing their kid a, a smartphone with unfettered access at nine years old, thinking that kid's going to be able to navigate that. Well, as we talked about earlier, over 50% of men have uh, a Christian men uh, have a, at least sometimes struggle with pornography. How do you think an 11 year old's going to navigate that? Oh, uh, and then you get down the road of how pornography addiction reshapes the brain and, and changes, you know, it leads to depression and all these other things. I mean, it is a train wreck. And so, like I said, I could go down that, that rabbit hole and, and on a tangent on that. And so I don't want to, I want to get too far or, or too off your topic here, but pay attention to your kid's education, get the internet out of their hands, uh, you know, every single way you can. And uh, parents that have monitoring apps on their phone or, or pornography blockers on the computer, that is a great step. Still, I, I can speak from experience when a kid who knows technology as good or better than their parents really wants to get around a filter, they will. There's always a way there's always a way. And so not that you want to keep your kid locked in a cage in your basement until they're 38 years old, but you've got to bring them along in these things. You can't just throw them off the deep end and go, okay, go swim, buddy. So, um, education, internet are the things to guard your kids against. And then you have to actively disciple your kid, make them an active part of the church, make them, you know, help them know the word, show them how to pray, show them how to, to serve their Christian family, to evangelize what, yeah. show them how to walk in the footsteps of Jesus is, is the positive, uh, along with the negative of keeping them away from the bad influences. No, I really don't mind. And we may have to do a part two with your brother. So I really don't mind you going off the deep end. Cause I was going to ask you about your two books anyway. So you kind of went, you kind of went down that rabbit hole and I'm glad you did. Sure. Sure. Um, so church reset now, since we hit into failure a little bit, um, mm -hmm. God's designed for so much more. Um, and I think we kind of touched on a lot of these things, but, um, here's one thing with church reset and that, that I think is good. And, um, and I just want you to speak about my question to you is, um, you know, when you have a new crop, if you will, of Christians that's coming along, they've been indoctrinated for years, um, that church people, church people are just these judgy, snooty gossipers, mm -hmm. um, just to pull a little brief synopsis out of your book. How can we reverse this trend to reflect the family that God would have us to be? So uh, there's a love and a connectedness that you see in the New Testament, uh, especially obviously Acts 2 is, is kind of the perfect model. And it's never that perfect again, because then sin comes in and division and some of the things we talked about, Jew, Gentile, and then all these other things come in. 
But Acts 2 kind of gives us the model to strive for in a lot of ways. After the 3,000 are baptized, they're gathering in each other's homes. They're, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and to breaking bread and prayer and, you know, from house to house. And they're, they're worshiping God and having favor with all the people. There's this closeness there, right? Um, Peter did not, you know, say, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people get baptized and then say, all right, we'll see you guys next Sunday. It just, that's not what happens. Uh, in, in Paul's letters, uh, you know, you start counting up the one another commands in the New Testament. One another does not mean from the preacher to the people. It means you to the guy in the pew next to you, mm. the guy across the building, you know, uh, of me and, and my fellow Christians back and forth, one another, uh, be hospitable to one another, serve one another, love one another as I have loved you, not just love each other and be nice to each other, love each other to the level that Jesus did. And he was saying that right before he went to the cross. Right. And so he says, love each other in that way. He gets down and washes feet and says, serve one another. You know, of, of if, if I'm the greatest and I'll get down and wash feet, do that for each other. Um, and so you start stacking up those one another's and think, okay, well, we see each other two hours a week in which we're all facing the same direction, listening to one guy speak. Mm -hmm or three or four hours a week, you know, and, and we're all listening to this guy speak, or maybe we're going to gather for a, a meal and a quick Devo, you know, in, in somebody's house and we'll call it good or whatever else. Bear one another's burdens, confess your sins to one another, pray for one. Another. I mean, you just start adding these to it and go, what happened here? And so what you have, and this is kind of the, the basic idea for church reset is modern church is organized like a business, not a church, not a family. Uh, the Bible is a, it shows a family as the church, and this goes to your question about people seeing the church as judgmental, as, as all these other things. They view it as an institution that doesn't want them or that looks down on them, not as a family that's saying, hey, come be a part of this. You know, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to submit. You're going to have to make some changes. There's some commands here that you're disobeying. There's repentance. There's grace. There's forgiveness in Jesus, but you get this family out of the deal. Um, when the rich young ruler rejects Jesus in Mark, um, you know, Jesus talks about how hard it is for the rich and, and all these things. And Peter says, well, Jesus, we left everything and followed you. What essentially, what do we get out of the deal? And Jesus says, well, in this life, you're going to get persecutions, but you're going to receive a hundred times more in mothers and brothers and sisters and, and houses. And, you know, all, all of these things you get for being part of his family. And then he says, in this, or he says, in this life and in the life to come. So he's not just saying, hey, thanks for forgiving stuff up for me, Peter. When you die, you get to go to heaven and it's going to be great. <laughs> it's here on earth, you get something way better than anything you gave up. Does that look like, hey, I'm going to go sit with these people I like, you know, for two hours on Sunday? No, 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 no. I, I mean, again, the picture, and that's why the, the, the tagline for the book is God's designed for so much more is like, man, there's something so great and powerful and, and just life giving and, and joyful that God has set up for us. And because of this business like thing, well, people are busy and, and people aren't going to be interested. So let's just give them a meal for an hour on Sunday. And, and one guy will get up and, and explain everything to everybody. And then they'll go home and do with it what they will. That's just not the picture. And, and so, you know, Church Reset to me, I don't know. When you write a book, it, it, it's very hard to do the self, the, the promotion. Cause you don't want it to be self promotion. You don't want it to be, Hey, look at this book. I wrote, I'm, I'm a genius, you know, whatever else. <laughs> and with the first book, I hardly told anybody I wrote a book. In fact, I had people go, Oh, you wrote a book, uh, with failure with church reset. I haven't had any, any of that difficulty telling people about it. Cause this isn't me. I'm not this genius. I just looked at the Bible and said, Hey, look at what God's word says the church is supposed to be. Let's do that. And people get really excited about it. And and people are, you know, taking it and applying it. And, and I'll get messages from people like, man, we're doing this. And, and our church is growing closer. And that's not me. I'm not, you know, like I said, it's not because I'm a genius. It's because God said, do this. And if we do it, we'll be happier. And and, and there'll be so much more to enjoy about church and life and, and all of this. And so, uh, you know, it, it's like I said, it's, it's not self-promotion at all. It's man, if you just look at what God gave us and realize how much we've shorted ourselves in the name of convenience, mm -hmm. 
in the name of we've only got an hour a week or two or three hours a week. And so let's all let's cram it all in here versus, man, let's live our lives based around the Great Commission, based around the family of the church, based around the love of God shared among all of us, based around being a body in which every joint plays a part. It's so cool. It, it's it. Uh, I I get so excited about it because I, I just uh, well, I was going to say it feels like you stumbled upon a treasure. Isn't that what Jesus said the kingdom would be? Amen. I mean, the, that you find it and you'll sell everything you have to get it. Um, that's exactly what it is. It's um, God has always wanted us to move as a community. And mm-hmm. I don't, if I have any Jewish, if I have a Jewish audience, please forgive me. Um, I'm not going to say anything derogatory, but I'm willing to bet any city you go to where there's a heavy population of Jews, they still, though they may not be quote unquote, the chosen people anymore. Mm-hmm. The principle is still there. They're still, they live in the same community. Right. They have their own restaurants. They have their own businesses. They right. do everything together. And it's the same right. formula that they that they had leaving Egyptian bondage mm-hmm. all the way down to captivity. Mm-hmm. And like you said, even down to the 3,000, we're supposed to move together, march together. Even when we're on the run, we need to be together. Um, right. And we've lost that essence, like you said, uh, get a couple of hours and we drive back to our um, locations. It's almost like the worst thing that could have happened was you have multiple congregations per city. <laughs> yeah. it, it, because, okay, you, you don't like what this preacher said or you don't like his style, I'm going to go across town to go back to this church. And there's never a home. There's nothing centering. Like, here's a community and the church is based around it. We right. we're leaving our community to go 20 miles out to hear another preacher we like, or, yeah. or God forbid this congregation is swaying. I have to go. So it, and it, it, it right. just, all these different things have become so divisive and we've lost the essence of in the same way when the Egyptians uh, first, I mean, I'm sorry, when the Israelites first left Egypt, all they did was follow the flame. Right. Right now, we're just following whatever floats our boat, and, right. and we can't build a good church that way. Right, and that's you know that I mentioned the the business mindset it creates customers, mm-hmm. um, a, a customer, and one of the illustrations I really use lean on heavily is a restaurant. Uh, if you go to a restaurant and you like the cooking there, you like the the chef or whatever else, you go back to that restaurant. You like the the service, you like everything else. You're not expected to do anything but put money on the plate. <laughs> right. Does that sound familiar? Uh, and so it's, and the other thing is the restaurant goes, huh, people like pizza. We're going to serve pizza and we're going to give discounts on pizza. And so if you like pizza and they're going to send out advertisements, come here. Well, okay. What do people want in a church? People want programs. People want something for their kids. People want this kind of preaching. People want this kind of singing or music or whatever else. We're going to give you that. And so people are going to come to us for that. And the thing, the other thing about customers, number one, they don't do anything. You don't finish your pizza and get up and go clean the kitchen. You put your money down and you walk away. Well, why do we have such a hard time getting people activated in the church? Because they're customers. Customers don't serve or clean. They go home. And so you've got that. And then customers aren't loyal. As you said, if, if the, the, they change the pizza recipe, you're going to go to the next restaurant. If their prices go up a little bit much, you're going to, you're going to leave. And, and if God forbid, they, they ask you, Hey buddy, can you go uh, sweep up the kitchen after you're done eating? (laughs) No, (laughs) that's not the deal that I came here under. And so when a church tries to get somebody in as a customer and then says, all right, we need you to serve, unless it's something the person comes wanting to do, they're not going to do it. They're going to go to the next place. Whereas when you get the family thing, it's not a restaurant, it's a potluck and a potluck. You know, you think of your family Thanksgiving, mom makes the turkey and the mashed potatoes and somebody brings the rolls and somebody brings a salad and somebody brings a whatever else. 
what does the Bible say the church is? It's made up of what every joint supplies. Mm. And and the idea of acting like a customer at family Thanksgiving and coming and going, you know what? The turkey's a little dry. I'm going to go to the neighbor's house for Thanksgiving next year. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? And, and so you take this restaurant versus family potluck analogy um, of, of the church, and, and you start seeing the absurdity of how we do church. Mm-hmm versus the design. And as always, when we try to outsmart God and think this works better, this gets better numbers, this gets, you know, the response that we want more, you don't get the blessings that that God put there for us, where we cheat ourselves out of something better. And I mean, you see that across the board. Every time mankind goes, you know what, God said to do this, but I think we'll do better if we do it this way. You don't get I mean, you see it in from Genesis onward of mankind going, I think I have a better way. Doesn't work. Just Doesn't just do what he says. Yeah. So as I said, I, some people don't like that kind of thing because it's critical of what we as a church do, but it's, it's, it's not meant to be critical. It's not meant to run people down. It's meant to say, man, there's something so much better than, than what we have. If you just really think about what was said here, look how cool this could be. It's good. You know, I, I'm glad we have what we have, but it could be even better if we do it God's way. I, I don't I don't see that as negative. Some people really do as, well, stop being critical. Stop saying that we're, you know, we're in the wrong or, or whatever else. Finding ways that we could get more blessing from God is, is just not, criticism to me I, I don't think amen amen um and and kind of going back to the um people that's being judgmental uh we have to stop expecting christianity to be a uh magical elixir um right people have spent lord knows how many years doing the things that they're doing. You're not going to get a 15 year alcoholic to stop drinking his, his uh, whiskey just because he got baptized last Sunday. Chances are he's going to have some Sundays where he's going to come back smelling like whiskey and we're not supposed to run him out. Right. You can't expect a young lady that's been doing street things to be coming in and quote unquote Sunday finest. If all she has is, X, Y, and Z. And this is where the family part comes in. You don't criticize. Mm -hmm. You may want to say, okay, honey, um, this is probably not the best idea. Men are still men at the end of the day. Here's some clothes. Here's this. Right. To the young man that's been out in the street drug dealing, to the alcoholic, to the drug addict. It's like, hey, um, I got an extra space in my home. You know, if you need help, We'll guide mm-hmm. you through this. Um, right. But it, it's not an overnight thing. And I think we've run off so many people with these attitudes and forgot how much grace we've been extended. Exactly. And, and that, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's part of the customer thing at your family gathering, your family knows what you're going through. Your family, you know, those are the people, I know not everyone has a perfect family and not everyone has this, but ideally they are the people who you can tell if you've lost your job. You can tell if, if you're struggling, you know, with an addiction like that, or, or if there's something tugging you down or, or if you're just really in a bad place or whatever, you don't tell your waiter at a restaurant there. You don't tell the people at the next table. And so it's the same sense of, man, if I come to church and I only see these people once a week and they all look like they're all shined up and doing great and, and, and everything's perfect. I, I don't want to bring the mood down. I don't want to come in and put my burdens on them. I don't want to be the one that comes in and goes, man, I'm a train wreck. I know you guys are all perfect. Nobody does that, you know, but if, if it is a church where we, we realize again, just look at what the Bible says, that our strength is in our weakness. And and we have a culture of confessing our sins to one another and praying for each other and sharing with each other and, and developing the kind of closeness that can only come from time spent together in spiritual fellowship outside of the Sunday morning worship, you know, outside of a designated event where we're supposed to come together, but we really choose to be together and choose to build a relationship 
then you know you can who you can trust. You know, of being a regular in somebody's life, re, they see you as reliable, right? Uh, your family, you know, if you've got a close relation relationship with them, my brother and I talk two three times a week. He's a regular in my life. I'm a regular in his life. He knows I'm reliable. I know he's reliable. If I have a problem, that reliability lets me be vulnerable. Without regularity, you don't get reliability. And without reliability, you don't get vulnerability. Well, none of those things are present in just coming and sitting in a pew for an hour. The relationships built by really investing in each other is where you start opening that door. And, and as you said, of a new person coming in, realizing, man, they're right where I was when I started. And that's, they need help. They need an older brother. They need an older sister. They need somebody to, to disciple them and show them how to follow Jesus rather than just assuming, well, they should just be doing it already and they're not. And so what's wrong with them? Let's all look funny at them. Let's all not sit by them. Let's all talk about them behind their back. That's not how a family treats each other. Or at least again, in, in the right situation that it shouldn't be but um yeah i mean i think god designed for all of these things and when we take shortcuts we lose all of the beauty of his design we forget the it's so heavily quoted but we forget the principle of first corinthians 6 and 9 this won't inherit this won't inherit this won't inherit but guess what such right. were some of you <laughs> yeah yeah so, that long stem down our nose. We don't have no business looking down on people. That's exactly right. Uh, so restrictions are being lifted. Are you doing more seminars? Uh, you know, I haven't scheduled anything yet. Um, I had, it's kind of funny. The last contact I had with somebody in California, they're, they're still going to be a little while before uh, they're open back wow. up. So, um, wow. you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, obviously you talk to Brad, he at his height was 40, 45 week weekends a year. Uh, I can't do that. That, that, that's too much travel. Yeah, that's you exhausting. You have no business. Yeah. I got a young family and I'm, I'm in a pulpit, you know, Brad has filled in places, but as far as like a full-time thing. And so I don't want to abandon the church. And, and the thing with church reset is if you read the book, I am not the biggest believer in. I, I say I, I, there's definitely value in seminars. There's value in having somebody come in and give, you know, five or six power packed lessons that they've prepared for maximum effect out of their expertise. But what goes even further than that is building relationships with your fellow Christian, you know, of, of, you know, there, there's seminars for all kinds of stuff of there's parenting seminars, marriage seminars, finance seminars, just basic, you know, living as a Christian seminars, uh, all, uh, uh, any level, any number of them. And, and I don't mean to put down anybody who does those because there's some great brethren doing some great things on those. But what helps me, and I think what most people would agree is, rather than hearing five hours of lessons on how to do something well, would be to have, you know, uh, let, let's just say marriage, because it's the first one off the top of my head uh, in thinking of this. Five hours of, of lessons on marriage is really good. What's even better is a Christian couple that's been married for 50 years and been through it all and stayed together and, and, and loved each other through it to build a relationship with me and my wife so that we can say, we don't like each other very much right now, or we're really not on the same right, page about right. this. How'd you guys get through that? And so <laughs> that doesn't mean you don't have seminars ever again. That doesn't mean eliminating all that, but I'm trying to transition the, the church reset one to be a workshop, not get everybody and come sit and listen, get the people who would be interested in being more plugged in with the church, get them to come do a room together. And I'm going to give you guys activities because guess what? Tomorrow I'm gone and you have each other. And if I just came and told you guys about how church could be more and you go, amen, brother, and then go back home, you didn't get much out of it. But if you sit down and talk about how are we going to spend more time together? How are we going to study the Bible together? How are we going to pray together? How are we going to worship, you know, together? How are we going to support each other's lives? And, and uh, you know, and so I really trying to work on a workshop more than a, a seminar uh, as such. That's good. That's good. Um, think deeper. You said we're expecting more from you this summer, huh? 
Yeah, so I just recorded actually the first episode of the summer season, which was a solo one, clearing up some confusion about an article I wrote uh, about, you know, COVID restrictions and, and returning to church and attendance and Hebrews 1025, forsaking the assembly, all that stuff. So that'll be the first episode of the season. Um, uh, I'm interviewing uh, Dr. Bob Turner from Sunset uh, Inter International Bible Institute on leadership. I've got a brother coming on to talk about evangelism. Obviously, Brad uh, will be on a, a few times through the season. Uh, my brother, Joe, he's a, a regular guest. He'll be on a few times. Um, and so, yeah, I've got a we've got a, a guy coming on to talk about his new book on um, angels and demons and, and that whole realm. And we've, we, I'm really excited. We've got a really uh, interesting lineup of, of shows. And so uh, at long last, Think Deeper will be back and we will be consistent. Uh, it won't be two weeks of shows and then none for a month. You know, it, it's hard. I mean, you got, you got your own podcast. It's, it's not easy doing it every week. No, is it? You know what? I spaced them out every two weeks. I couldn't, I couldn't dare do okay. this every week. Fair enough. Yeah, it's hard. It I is. I really enjoyed the episode, um, the Kanye episode, uh, the toxic masculinity and, um, actually your most recent one, the curse of, uh, individualism. I found that. Okay. And that was fascinating. So, I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, that's um, my brother and I. We <laughs> we're just like, you know what? We just talk about this stuff anyway. Let's just turn on the mic and record it. And yeah. and we did that for a while, but you know, he's he's getting licensed as a counselor, and he's moving and all that. And we've got our kids, and just couldn't do it every week. So I had to get some other guests lined up. But uh, we, we, yeah, we had some fun. One, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I definitely would like to have you back. Um, because I was actually, I don't know what happened with the Brothers of Overcome. Um, oh, yeah. But though that, that is actually something I wanted to have within my first 10 episodes. But I definitely wanted something to address um, porn addiction because um, that's not addressed enough. And Sure. And we have to undress the topic in order to, um, to heal better. So if you don't mind, sure. um, however long it may take, I would definitely like to have you and your brother on to speak specifically about that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he's, it's kind of funny. The overcome guys, one of them is our brother-in-law. Oh, really? uh, and so it's, it's, <laughs> it's all interconnected. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, my brother, uh, actually, you know, he's getting licensed as counselor, but he just took a job on, um, specifically working, uh, with a, a men's ministry, getting them out of sex addiction. Um, and he, he does a seminar for churches on pornography addiction and, and it's, it's deeper than that. It's you're really about identity and self and, and, you know, really peeling back the layers on who we are and why it leads to sins like this. Um, he, he's got some really heady stuff on it, but it's, I don't think it's, it's, too much. It's just very interesting. So uh, certainly that, that'd be uh, a really good one to, to do. Okay. So I look forward to think deeper again. We, uh, this was Jack Wilkie. Uh, you can find him on his own website as well. Jack That's Jack all one word, tons of articles written by him on focuspress.org. And he is on Facebook. He abandoned Twitter. Look what Twitter did for him. <laughs> uh, Jack, thank you, thank you, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, brother. That's right, great. Have a good one. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at Liberation underscore pod. Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DeVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydevita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, it's doodlebugsbydevita.etsy.com. Use the promo code LIBERATION and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at doodlebugs for you. That's doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. And Instagram, doodlebugsbydevita.com.